This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. Today's episode is about retreats for building resilience in children. And I'm delighted to be discussing this with Stuart Clark, who's an educator and head of campus at the Pimble Ladies College Vision Valley Campus in Greater Sydney, Australia. Welcome, Stuart. Thank you, Dr. Amanda. It's a real pleasure to be here. Stuart's been involved in the education sector for more than 25 years. He's worked in outdoor education, classroom education, adult education, and in educational leadership. And Stuart holds numerous qualifications, including Masters of Teaching, Masters of Education degrees. Stuart, I was intrigued to read about your residential program there at the campus, but tell me more, tell us more about this campus. Thank you. Uh, It's a real pleasure to talk to you about our journey over the last four years into experiential learning and outdoor education for Pimble Ladies College. Did over four years ago, Pimble Ladies College uh, had a change of leadership and we welcomed Dr. Kate Hadwin as our new principal. And uh, Kate brought a real passion for outdoor education as a vehicle for well-being in young people. Fantastic. Yes, and it was one thing that uh, our school, which is a very holistic provider of education, uh, needed some further work in. There was certainly some good things happening in the space, but uh, we certainly saw a greater opportunity. So one of the first things that uh, Dr Hadwin asked me to look at was the purchase of a campus to support that program. Wow. Serendipitously, Uh, A beautiful piece of land very close by to our main campus uh, came on the market and uh, through an intense campaign that our board and and Kate led, Mm. we were lucky enough to to own that campus about uh, eight months later. And uh, for the last three years, it's been my job to set up a program at that site. Uh, The program spans K to 12 education. We are a K to twelve school, and just yeah. for those who don't know what K to twelve means, that's kindergarten to the end of school, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So thirteen years of um, teaching and learning, and the broader co-curricular program that we deliver for our students. Pimble Ladies College is currently one of the largest girls' schools in Australia, with over twenty three hundred enrolments, and and we do uh, happily. Uh, promote a huge range of co-curricular and extracurricular activities, uh, whether they're sporting, performing arts, uh, music, and of course, this new area of experiential learning and outdoor education. Uh, So we're lucky enough to see all 13 years of uh, our enrolment out at our new campus. Oh, wow. All the the age, all the years of school can, can enjoy the campus. That's right. It's quite unique to have a satellite campus that's actually so close to the main school. Yep. We're, we're only 45 minutes drive in a, in a bus. Mm. We can run day programs and uh, do in the context of both wellbeing retreats, outdoor education and also curriculum studies. Wow. So from kindergarten, we can have those uh, little five-year-olds out there and um, enjoying the connection with nature and 
um, the, the sometimes quite confronting uh, experiences of climbing up a, a, a hill, which is a yeah. mountain to them, yes. uh, of dealing with a leech on, on your shoe, uh, of seeing a swarm of black cockatoos for the first time. Uh, and right through the year groups, we get to engage in a staged and age-appropriate way. Uh, we're currently in a pilot phase for probably the flagship of what we do at our site, which we call a residential program. Yeah, I was so intrigued to see that, that that's for year nine students, I believe. It's a one-month residential program. It's, that sounds enormous. It is enormous. It's been enormous for the community. Mm. Uh, there's been uh, some challenges for us in selling that narrative uh, because it's so different to traditional schooling. Mm. Uh, there's also been challenges internally with how our co-curricular program uh, has a loss of continuity and indeed uh, the traditional academic program. Uh, through five pilots now across 22 and this year, we've actually started to bridge most of those gaps. Uh, we have really good feedback coming through. The community is interested in, in, and on board in the majority of cases. Uh, and we're seeing that we can actually bridge the uh, gaps in academics and co-curricular in many ways. Fantastic. And why year nine? That's a really good question. And it's one that we're continuing to ask. Mm. Uh, year nine, is a popular year for other schools to conduct residential programming. Oh. Uh, whilst it's not common in New South Wales, uh, there are a range of residential programs in other parts of Australia, including ones up to a year long, where oh. the entire year nine cohort of that school lives in that offsite satellite campus and uh, conducts a, a different type of program to their normal schooling. Uh, the age of 14 or 15 years of, of age is still determined as a bit of a crux point for development where we can uh, hopefully uh, start to layer in additional skills in self-efficacy, resilience, um, self-belief that effectively will um, set them up well for the last three years of school. Wow. There's also a really nice... Uh, I guess, inflection point in stage five, which is year nine and 10 at school, mm -hmm. uh, where, yes, it's still a serious year for academia. And um, indeed, we have a lot of students who are 100% committed to their HSC mark at that point. Yep. But we, we also believe that at year nine, we can take it a month out and change up the way they're learning. Mm -hmm. And hopefully for the benefit of all learners, Yeah. Uh, just um, give them some additional neuroplasticity in the way they respond to challenge, group learning, deep learning, mm. um, new social situations which create challenges in learning. So it's a good time for us to do it, we believe. It's funny because um, there was a joke uh, sort of that we banded around as psychologists that year nine was the bitchy year where bitchiness and bullying was rife, particularly in girls' schools. Um, and so that also is why your blog caught my eye, that year nine was the targeted year for these retreats. Is that something that the research has found in these pilot studies or uh, in other schools? Yes. Uh, and we, we 
maybe could say that research is showing that those trends are occurring earlier now as well. Uh, so year seven and eight are certainly years that we've discussed uh, a need for a greater deal of intervention in those spaces. And certainly in what we do in outdoor education and experiential learning, we, we see greater opportunities to expand our offering for those year groups, mm. certainly to act as a springboard for what is a very intensive program at a month long for year nine. Uh, so we would like to see our whole program expand uh, in duration and intensity complexity for those students uh, across the board. Uh, and one of the interventions we've made beyond year nine is quite, um, uh, I guess, uh, challenging and remote expeditions on offer as an elective for years 10 and 11 students. Uh, we see them go for nine day trips now to uh, quite beautiful and remote places like the Larapinta Trail in the Northern Territory, Gee. the Victorian high country, uh, the Snowy River paddling in rafts. So mm. what we do before those year groups go out on those adventures is absolutely crucial to set them up, uh, not just psychologically, but also physically with a skill set uh, and a level of fitness and, and, you know, the grit and determination to continue in those um, those beautiful but austere and, and challenging environments. So how does this relate, if at all, to the Duke of Edinburgh schemes? That um, That's what was around when I grew up and that's what people doing those remote trips did. We tie in all of our outdoor ed continuum to the Duke of Edinburgh program so that the students who are undertaking those expeditions with us can qualify for that component of their Duke of Edinburgh. And we see the skills, physical recreation and service elements of the Duke of Edinburgh really tied into what we do also. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a really lovely synergy where a student can come to our site and pretty much be ticking all of their boxes uh, for the Duke of Ed in a meaningful and constructive way. It's, it's not just a checkbox. Uh, they are, they're working for that. Yeah. Um, and and it might be a bit different, the context. So where that student may do a musical instrument for their skill and go to the local nursing home for their service uh, and play netball once a week for their physical recreation, we see a real uh, change up in the way that that award takes shape in our environment. Their skill might now be cooking a meal on a stove uh, in a small group and perfecting that skill so it's not burnt onto the bottom of the stove pot and it actually tastes good. Uh, the the service is ripping out lantana and replanting native trees on our site, which is a constant journey mm. uh, to rehabilitate and care for the natural environment. And physical recs getting up at 6am with everyone every morning, often begrudgingly, and doing our three-kilometre cross-country circuit. Wow. Uh, and yeah, so when, when the students live with us, it's certainly a different set of experiences which, which contribute to their, uh, their award in the case of Duke of Ed and just generally uh, the whole uh, experience of the residential program. And that residential program, it really sort of flies in the face of this contemporary tech-driven society these kids are growing up in. And I, and I guess for most of them, they'd be 
privileged kids affording that school um, yeah. out in the bush ripping up Lantana is probably not what they're, they're used to at all. It's very different. Uh, that, along with cleaning a toilet, vacuuming the corridor, tidying their room to a standard and, and being checked and balanced on that. Wow. Uh, quite confronting experiences for a lot of the students. Mm. Uh, and happily, we report that a lot of the, the parent anecdotal feedback is that those practices continue back at home post-program. Excellent. Uh, and in fact, some of the statements from parents are profound oh. and we, we, we love that. We're not going to get it right with all students. This, the experience won't work to the same extent with all, all participants. But where we see a family say he or she is a changed young man or woman, a uh, young person, we it gives us that credibility and, um, uh, I guess, excitement and passion to keep driving this forward. Uh, the, the students are very lucky to go to the schools that... Um, that we host uh, so it's a it's a co-educational program at the moment that we're piloting with another school who's a, a brother school effectively for Pimble Ladies College and that's St Ignatius College Riverview uh, and a lot of those young people they are from an extremely well-to-do environment and not necessarily uh, gained the independence at that age yeah to um to have good social skills ability to live together uh in a smaller you know a tight environment um and to contribute to a community a small community in a in a way that allows everyone to uh to successfully move forward so we are often teaching those skills for the first time genuine life skills and yes you've reminded me that of course there's this co-educational uh, component where the boys and girls are there together and they have that um, resilience to learn which is all about social skills as well as self-regulation that's what my understanding of resilience is and what mm -hmm. a great opportunity for any of those students who are in all same-sex families and may not naturally get to have that brotherly sisterly um, interaction with others other gender so wonderful for their life development absolutely and Pimble Ladies College is really committed to all girls education uh, there's very strong research to show that that's beneficial for young ladies to study in that environment uh, at this point our understanding is that St Ignatius College is also committed to boys education but we see this partnership as a meeting of two very good cultures uh, very good educational models, mm. but certainly ones that have a limited um, uh, access to the other uh, gender or sex in this case. So we're actually really excited to see those relationships come together in a healthy way in our environment. Yeah. And of course, there's the storming, norming, conforming phase that goes on with any group that we put into a melting pot uh, in our somewhat um challenging at times environment uh but it's lovely to see them work through the awkwardness and uh frustration of those early uh relationship building experiences and come out as as friends with you know it's it's just natural you watch the students on campus and 
there's a lovely ease to the way they go about those relationships after a few weeks. So certainly there's tension uh, with at times and with individuals and, you know, that's life and it's a good, really good experience to learn that at 14 or 15 yeah. before you leave school. Yeah, absolutely. And the rite of passage, um, was this the main rationale, do you think, for the, the program? Yes and no. I think the main rationale was uh, the growth of a more resilient young woman uh, for, for us to set out to buy a campus and uh, build a structure that pushes young people further out of their comfort zone than the traditional educational model is doing. So uh, where we push that young person outside their comfort zone safely and set up uh, opportunities to challenge uh, their perception of risk and uh, re rely on themselves and each other mm. uh, and of course have nature as um, a strong uh, safety mechanism and rather than the, the alternative which is often um, nature can be perceived as an uncomfortable and potentially frightening space yeah we think the concepts of self other and the natural world really go a long way um, to getting a young person prepared for the complexities of life, mm. knowing themselves, working well with others and being connected to nature. So I think that was the main uh, impetus in what we set out to do. And in particular, the year nine residential program is a rite of passage and um, we frame it up in that way. Uh, there are the traditional rite of passage elements of separation, transition, uh, and return, the yes. integration. Uh, and the, the whole month-long program is set up like that. We take them away from their families, the comfort and security of their home. We put them into a challenging environment. They learn differently. They have the social interactions, which are challenging. Just living in a small room with three other people uh, is one of the greatest challenges for a lot of the students. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, we, we put them through that cycle of duties that they uh, sometimes really struggle with. We put them into uh, quite extreme environments with backpacks on climbing mountains or canoeing rivers against the tide and the wind. So there's a lot of, of transition and challenge in the middle of that program. Mm. And then we bring them back to their families. So technically, the whole process end to end is... Uh, representative of a rite of passage. Mm. There's one particular part of the program we're just building out, which stands alone as what we call a significant rite of passage, and that's a 24-hour wilderness solo. And it's basically a consolidation of all of their skills yes. and through personal test. That uh, sounds very courageous uh, for you to be uh, building this um, as well as for the student to be undertaking it. Yeah, I, I'm really very proud of what the students do in that experience and process. Uh, I soloed as a 14-year-old myself when I went through a school outdoor education program and found it very confronting. Yeah. It was, um, it was a long 24 hours yeah. uh, and uh, I think I came out of it with um, a better understanding of myself and certainly um, much more confident in my abilities and 
uh, maybe with a greater love of nature as well. The place I was positioned was very beautiful and I watched the water come and go with the tide and animals came to visit. Uh, now, a long time past that experience, I still feel the value in it. And as a team, we've come together and constructed a very safe but uh, impactful experience for those students. They go out with a small amount of equipment and food and uh, we bring them back the next day. And the debrief is fascinating, listening to the experiences. Oh. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't land for all of them. Yep. Uh, some of them will come out saying we were bored and that's fine. Um, even though I do front load the students saying that I don't believe in boredom, mm. uh, it's, a, it's a natural reflection. Uh, others say they were terrified. Others say they didn't want to come in. They just wanted to stay out there. Oh, how fantastic. It is. It's remarkable. And we've had students ask to come back and do a longer solo with us in uh, when they're older. Uh, and that's something we're contemplating as oh. to, to continue the experience. And do you think that um, on the back of the COVID pandemic lockdowns that your program's even more um, required or um, that kids are benefiting even more from it? Yeah, I, I do. And in a number of ways, the digital detox is one of the most powerful parts of the program. And it's actually another area where we've been really proud of the young people and also um I mean, young people continue to amaze us in our work all the time. Mm. Um, you put a challenge up to them and uh, on the whole, they will attack it with fervour and and usually succeed. And, and that's given the right conditions, I guess, you know, uh, that are structured. Digital detox was one of the things that we really thought we were going to have trouble with. And remarkably, a, a week or so in, definitely the two-week mark, a lot of those young people are saying they don't miss their device at all. Excellent. Uh, we do letter writing uh, back to peers and family. Mm -hmm. And obviously we like that to be a two-way exchange. Um, and certainly there's phone calls home if needed. Mm -hmm. But some students go through that whole experience just putting pen to paper and receiving those uh, replies uh, through our through snail mail. You know, it's it's traditional old school uh stamping an envelope and and they've never addressed an envelope before which is a new life skill for them uh, uh of course there's the outliers we have students who smuggle phones into the program yeah. uh, they're either so terrified of losing uh connection with some part of of their external life mm. or remarkably their their family has smuggled that phone in for them mm. Uh, because they're terrified of losing connection with their daughter uh, or son. Yeah. Um, so on the whole, we uh, am, are gratified and um, and amazed by the amount of feedback that comes through about the benefits of that digital detox. And that's from the students as well as the, the parents. And do you uh, think that lasts, that, that they have that that um, astute awareness of, of managing their devices after the program? No, I don't think it lasts. Oh. I think it would, it would take a huge commitment from that family to make it last. Mm. Uh, we haven't really studied that uh, part of the program uh, a year on, for example, yet. It's one of the things we intend to do. And I'd love to think that the, 
habitually uh, there are changes in the way that that young person interacts with uh, their devices and particularly with social media, mm. but um, it's yet to be seen. I think it's it's just so prevalent yeah. uh, that we can't really avoid it in our daily lives now and it washes over into the personal space. And it just affirms the the real impact on a child is their family environment is where they're they're living most of their lives and that's hard to overcome. Absolutely, yeah. So post-COVID, it was a really good question uh, and I only sort of answered part of it with the digital detox. Obviously, everything was screens in COVID and naturally, I think a level of education has, has clung on to screens beyond COVID. Uh, there's there's maybe more uh, than there was previously. The other part of the post-COVID landscape, of course, is... Uh, that social interaction and, and um, again, connection to nature or nature deficit in, uh, antithesis uh, and a, a deal of um, a loss of physical conditioning. Um, people stopped playing sport and haven't returned to it. Yeah. Um, so we deal with those three things um, with uh complex social interactions because maybe those few years at home broke down that young person's real ability to interact face-to-face. -face. Yep. We deal with the loss of um, connection to nature all the time. A, a lot of the young people who study at, at the schools we host live in apartments and might not even have a pot plant on the balcony. Yep. Uh, and to personally, to me, that's foreign and difficult to comprehend. Mm. Uh, given the way I grew up and my affinity with nature yep. and the way that my family lives with pot plants everywhere. Uh, <laughs> but I, I understand that world for those young people um, objectively. Mm -hmm. So we have a, a great responsibility and, uh, and again, awe when we see those young people be able to connect with nature. Yeah. Uh, I, I listened to one of your recent podcasts with Christy Little and her colleague. And I uh, have worked with Christy uh, before and known Christy for a long time uh -huh. on a personal level. And Christy's program with our students was fascinating. One of the things that she did at the very start of her nature immersion or forest bathing session is said, okay, up here is comfort with nature. And we're all standing out in our valley, beautiful grassland valley. Uh, surrounded by gum trees she said up here is comfort in nature and down there is discomfort in nature I want you to stand on that paradigm mm -hmm. sorry that's okay um so yeah uh up here is comfort with nature down here is discomfort in nature and I want you to stand place yourself on that paradigm and 90% of the students are standing in discomfort with nature mm -hmm. right up near the 10 uh, 10 out of 10 with feeling uncomfortable a few spread along the paradigm but no one's standing really confidently uh, in comfort with nature and through Christie's work uh, with students of that background never engaging with nature feeling uncomfortable uh, she was able to shift that pendulum so that uh, at the end of her work most of the students had come out of that discomfort space there was a glut standing in the middle 
but there were a lot who transitioned right up that comfort with nature end and that was so lovely to see post-COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, that was um, very soon after the lockdowns ended uh, right. that we saw those results occurring. Yeah. Yeah, look, the research just keeps emerging about the benefits and need for us to be connecting to nature for our mental health, and let alone our physical health, as you say, with exercise and sport and activity. So yes. That's, that's wonderful that both of you are doing this work. Um, it's so important. And for kids who don't have the benefit of a school retreat, uh, as we said, there's the Duke of Edinburgh programs that uh, do, do most schools offer those? Yes, yes, they do. And where schools don't offer it, there are community organisations that offer the award. And because there isn't a significant cost barrier to the award, and quite often there are ways to for students to apply for funding uh, to complete the award. It is actually, in my perspective, one of the best ways for uh, widespread access to the experiences of wilderness trips, of leadership activities, of self-motivating and... Uh, Resilience. Absolutely. Setting good habits. Uh, it's... The Duke of Edinburgh's award scheme is, I think, the the best program in Australia for young people. Mm. Uh, I, I've also had a, a great opportunity to work within the Australian Army Cadets program, and I believe that that's also uh, another accessible uh, program for young people in terms of cost and uh, location yeah, where they're actually offered. And in terms of the leadership planning uh, and I guess project management skills that uh, that pro program also brings as a very nice synergy with the Duke of Edinburgh's award scheme and certainly for students doing one or both of those mm. uh, they're walking into life better prepared they're walking into scholarship or uh, job interview uh, panels with a great story to tell yes. and if their CV looks the same as the other uh, candidate and they've got that gold Duke of Edinburgh award or they gained a level of rank a leadership in uh, an army uh, Australian Defence Force cadets program they're certainly well ahead. Yes and uh, for listeners beyond Australia the Duke of Edinburgh award scheme is international of course and I'm sure um, experience in certain armies must be uh, something that many international countries offer Absolutely. Defence Force Cadet programs are uh, widespread across the world. Uh, and of course, yes, the Duke of Ed is an international program. So uh, for us, we're very lucky to have um, this beautiful campus and the funding to uh, continue delivering these activities. And certainly I believe that the students gain a uh, a great deal of perspective when they're on our programs and hopefully gratitude mm. uh, about those experiences. We talk a lot and set up reflection activities about um, how lucky those young people are and what they've um, got back at home. Mm. Uh, and we love them to return home with that gratitude and, and start to pay it forward to their family and others, hopefully. Oh, look, I'm sure that it must ripple through the rest of their lives, this experience, just as it did for you when you talked about your 24 hours solo in the bush. Uh, mm -hmm. This would be something that they would process again many at many stages of life. 
um, I'm sure, and be yes, fundamental in in their well being and their um, their development. As you said, amazing stories of if they've done that solo, um, whole twenty four hours, and even the month itself that that month away, and then the five day trek through bushland back to the school. That must be something pretty arduous and, again, full of stories for these children. Absolutely. And one of the great reflections, and we hoped for this, is that when the students speak of challenge, they speak uh, in a really excited way about it. Oh. Uh, they, they did it. They got through it. And that five-day return trip, which we call the Great Return, uh, and it's been a bit appropriated from uh, a very uh, excellent program that another Sydney school called the Scots College runs uh, in Kangaroo Valley, and their program runs for a full semester. Oh. So we're, we're at a month yeah. um, where effectively those uh, students live in residence for uh, two sort of three-month blocks, really. Uh, they have the long journey home. So uh, we're very respectful of their naming. And um, uh, I did get a bit of stick from the guys who run that program about our great return, but uh, <laughs> great returns a remarkable trip. Effectively, we're asking the students to put everything on their back for a full week of, of journeying. Yep. Uh, we ask them to set the route, to navigate the route, to set up sites, to break sites, to cook food uh, as small groups. Uh, our staff are really well trained, but are also uh, asked to step right back at that point yeah. and obviously on only intervene when there's a safety matter um, and to perform things like first aid or other uh, requirements. But what we see at that point is a consolidation of that full three weeks of training with us. Yeah. Um, and the bonding and the norming again that's occurred. Mm. And I've been lucky enough to walk on the great return with a number of groups and take that back seat, mm. uh, the safety overlay role. Uh, and I love seeing the, the power of the journey they've been on uh, manifested in those five days of, of hard slog of decision-making of arguments and consolidating mm. um, those, um, you know, um, interactions uh, of dealing with lightning storms, of dealing with leeches. There's mm. not much that's thrown in them that week. And then on the last day, they walk into an environment where their family and friends are waiting. And it's an incredibly emotional experience. I bet. Uh, there's, you know, it's a beautiful event to watch. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of tears uh, there's a lot of um, excited storytelling. We take them into a formal service where we acknowledge and honour them. Mm -hmm. uh, they get their um, keepsake, which is a pin uh, with our echidna on it. So our, our totem at Vision Valley is the echidna. Beautiful. And in fact, the echidnas have visited some of the students on solo oh. and sat with them, which has been pretty amazing oh. uh, for such a shy, reclusive animal. Uh, so yeah, and then those those young people go home with their families, and I I still run into families, parents, and they just can't stop telling me about their child's experiences. And um, again, that's you know gets me up in the morning. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, this must be so developmental for you, for your own development to have been the beginning of this building of the Arcadia um, campus and the uh, programs and building that. And you've been so immersed in the whole building of the campus, of the business, of the programs um, on every level, it seems. And now to be having these cohorts of children developing their characters that's setting them up for real success in the world, it, it must have trans transformed you. It has. Uh, it's been uh, an incredibly uh, taxing journey at times in terms of the uh, additional risk that is usually perceived risk in what we do. It's different to running out onto a football field. Does it cause anxiety? Yeah, it does. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess the additional level of um, perceived risk does cause uh, a, a level of tension that runs through everything we do. We, we of course, hate to have any injuries on our program, but we do anticipate with the activities we run that sometimes those occur. So that that runs through everything. But there's also a great deal of excitement that runs through everything. Uh, every group that comes onto the site uh, gives us a fresh opportunity to continue delivering um, an outcomes-based and really wholesome, holistic experience for those young people, regardless of their age and how long we get to host them for. And the team that works with me at Vision Valley are incredible people. Mm. Uh, their dedication and passion for those outcomes is just remarkable. And, uh, you know, they always think safety first, but just behind that is is outcomes how do we really get the best out of these young people with what we've got yeah oh it's so inspiring hearing about this Stuart and look I do ask all my guests a signature question of what makes you psyched for life uh my family is my biggest psych up uh my two children my wife and we you know I'm excited by watching my children grow up and have these same or similar experiences and grow into really amazing young people uh, and my partner in life uh, my wife through that experience uh, and right now my work is uh, totally psyching me up uh, it's it's experimental it's a sand pit that we're playing in uh, we get the great narratives we we get to work on the things that aren't working well either and and we get to work impactfully and with intent on those. And, and that's not always been the case in other jobs or other organisations that I've worked in is problems stay problems. Mm. Uh, and that might be a funding issue or um, uh, uh, an organisational context or culture issue. But I'm really lucky that right now uh, we're just forging progress um, through all of the data that comes back to us. And um, I can just see a better and better product. I think when we stop uh, innovating and deep diving and uh, refining, that's when um, we we create risk, but we also probably aren't as passionate and don't bring the same fervour every day. Yes, to your point that the data that you're receiving, um, your evidence-based outcomes, uh, that ongoing educational research base to the whole processes that you run um, is so important to have as an, an underpinning um, ongoing 
um, management process. Absolutely. It tells a great story for us and it also uh, builds the structure for the future, regardless of leadership changes um, and uh, methodological changes. We, we've got uh, something to really sell. And the data we've collected already and the data that we'll collect in the future years will hopefully build uh, a narrative that we can use in uh, a range of different ways, whether one of our staff goes on to undertake a PhD in the space or uh, we can go out and start telling the story at uh, conferences, mm -hmm. that would be marvellous. Excellent. So in terms of access to uh, any of the website addresses, products, resources, the, the, business, uh, the business itself, where would you direct listeners? Uh, the, the best source of information is the Pimble Ladies College website, which is Pimble LC, P-Y-M-B-L-E-L-C dot N-S-W dot E-D-U dot A-U. And there's actually an area on that website which uh, showcases our campus and has uh, information about the programs we offer to schools and, of course, contact information. And we are really proud and pleased to have a range of schools visit us across the year and uh, seek benefit from uh, the different programs that we can deliver in curriculum and outdoor education. Wonderful, Stuart. What an um, incredibly important uh, process, programs and resources that you offer and the school offers. So thank you so much for sharing it all with us. It's an absolute pleasure, Dr. Amanda. Thank you so much for having me on. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe on Apple, Spotify or wherever you're listening right now. Plus, don't forget you can access all of the resources mentioned in today's podcast via the show notes. Is there a pressing issue or topic you'd like me to discuss? Head to my Instagram at dramandaferguson and send me a DM. I love hearing from my listeners. If anything discussed in this podcast has caused you concern or distress, contact your general practitioner or health provider. To locate a psychologist in your area, call the Australian Psychological Society and locate Find a Psychologist Service on 1800 333 497 or visit www.findapsychologist.org.au. If you or someone you know is in crisis, Lifeline is available 24-7 on 13 11 14 and Kids Helpline, again 24-7 on 1800 1800 and both are free of charge. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me. 